All right. So good morning, Hillcrest Church. Um, as has already been said, my name is Tiana Couric, and I'm the next-gen intern here at Hillcrest Church. Um, I just moved to Moose Jaw a couple months ago, and before that, the biggest place that I had ever lived was Eston, Saskatchewan, which <laughs> I don't know if you know precisely how big it is, but it's about 1,300 people that live there. So Moose Jaw feels like a metropolis, so <laughs> it's been really fun living close to a superstore. Um, yes, so welcome to everyone, both those here in person and online. I am super excited to be able to share with you my favorite Bible story for this morning. So we are in the middle, if you didn't already know, we are in the middle of a sermon series that is called My Favorite Bible Story. So this is the third sermon in this series, and this morning I will be sharing with you my favorite Bible story, which is the story of Mary and Martha. Um, but I'm not going to jump into it immediately. I'm going to take a bit of a wandering path to get there. So, Jesus, we commit this morning to you. We thank you that you're already here. And, yep, we ask that you would come and you would have your way in this, in this time. In your, in your name, amen. All right. So, one of my favorite things about Christianity and the Bible is how the whole thing is actually one giant story. Um, in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it tells the, creation, the story of the creation of the world. It says in chapter 1 that God cre calls his creation good. And over the course of this creation narrative, it tells the story of how God intentionally crafted the world in which we live and breathe and interact with. And then, near the end of all this creating, God, uh, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27 that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The story shows how God creates special creatures, humans, in his own image. This is significant because there isn't anything else that God creates in his own image. There's something special about these creatures, the humans. God goes on to say in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God tasks these special creatures, the humans, with work to do. And we, in verse 31, God sees that it is very good. I love this. The God that we serve invites others into what he has made. God delights in an open invitation, in a feast. God isn't stingy with what he's doing, but he, instead he draws people into it. So, yeah, he has made creation and work and the humans made in his image very good. Now, this isn't the end of the story. In chapter 3, the Bible goes on to show how the humans were tempted to choose their own way over the way that God outlined for them. The chapter describes how there's this shrewd serpent that comes and convinces the humans that God is actually out to get them 
and that they needed to protect themselves against him. And so they eat of the tree that God told them not to, and immediately, the Bible says in verse 7, they feel shame. Then the scene shifts, and then it describes God walking in the garden in, in the cool of the evening, and the humans are terrified. They hear God, and they're terrified. And they hide from God because they know what they've done. They know what they've done is wrong, so they cower, and they hide in their fear and their shame. God, of course, finds the humans and pulls them out of hiding, and they confess what they've done. They tell him, and I always picture them just how terrified they must have been. Their knees knocking. They're just, like, quivering with terror And how certain they must have been that God was going to kill them. Like, that they were going to be killed for what they'd done. Because that's what God told them would happen if they they betrayed, if they ate of this tree. He told them, you will surely die if you eat of this tree. And so they were like, of course. But here's, here's the interesting thing. Although the humans are cowering in their guilt and their shame hiding from God, God, in his response to the humans, sets out a plan to restore and redeem the now broken relationship between himself and all of creation. He says in verse 15 that there will be a human offspring of the woman who will crush the root of the human's rebellion. The humans, the humans, they hide from God in resp- once they, when, when, they, when they sin, they hide from God. That's their response. But God immediately sets out on a rescue mission to save them. So this story, featured right at the beginning of the Bible, sets up the rest of the story of God. The rest of the Bible is the story of how this rescue mission plays out. So the entire Bible and the story of Christianity is one giant story about God's faithfulness to his creation. So do you guys like watching cartoon movies? That, that was so weak. I, I wanted, a, I, do you guys like watching cartoon movies? <laughs> there you go. Okay, that was better. I, I really like watching cartoon movies. And... I especially like when there's a funny joke in a movie. Sometimes it'll be like days after I've watched a movie and I'll just giggle out of the blue. I'll be like cooking supper and I'll be like, <laughs> just to myself, because, there, because there's something funny. And there's this one Disney movie with this awesome princess who has like the coolest name ever. And that movie is The Princess and the Frog, which if you guys don't, if you don't remember or you don't know, That princess's name is Tiana, and my name is Tiana. (laughs) And so it's just super cool, because we have the same name. (laughs) So there's this main character, Tiana, and there's her best friend, Charlotte. So I have a picture of Charlotte up here. She looks very beautiful in her pink dress. I always wanted that dress when I was a kid. So... Charlotte, in this one, there's this one scene in the movie where Charlotte is waiting for her prince to arrive at the ball. And so she, she's really nervous, she's waiting for him, and she runs up to Tiana and she says to her, I'm sweating like a sinner in church. 
So I think that's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's a funny joke. It's also maybe a little ironic. <laughs> but there's an underlying assumption to this joke that I want to address. Charlotte is assuming, by making that joke, that when you sin, you need to hide from God. That when you rebel, you need to be ashamed. That shame is the rightful mindset for a sinner to have. So, let's, let's come back to that. I have a video now that's going to tell the story of Mary and Martha. So, let's watch that. God's story, Mary and Martha. So part of God's story is about Mary and Martha, and it goes like this. Mary and Martha were sisters, and they lived in a town called Bethany. Mary and Martha were really good friends with Jesus. So when they invited friends over to hang out, sometimes Jesus came over too. What would you do if Jesus was coming to your house? Would you clean your room? Would you get out your favorite games? Would you help cook him an extra delicious meal? Well, one time, Jesus came over for dinner at Mary and Martha's. When he arrived, the sisters got everything ready. Or rather, Martha got everything ready. She rushed into the kitchen to make some food, while Mary sat down by Jesus' feet to listen to him talk. When Martha saw Mary sitting there, she got mad. Martha knew Jesus was a special guest. She wanted everything to be perfect for Jesus. So she rushed here and there, she cooked and cleaned, and she thought that Mary should help. Eventually, Martha got so fed up that she went where Mary and Jesus were sitting and said, Jesus, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Martha thought Jesus might be upset, like her, and ask Mary to help. But Jesus wasn't mad. He only wanted to spend time with them. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Kids, that one thing is Jesus. See, Jesus wanted Martha, and anyone hearing this story, to learn an important lesson. He wanted Martha to know that Mary had a choice. She could have gotten very busy with all the serving, preparing, and cleaning just like Martha, or she could choose to spend time with Jesus and learn from him. Jesus told Martha that Mary had made a good choice. Mary wasn't being lazy. She just cared about Jesus more than anything else. Maybe more than she cared about what Martha thought of her, and maybe definitely more than making a perfect dinner for her friends. Of course, Jesus likes it when we help our sisters, or our friends, or parents, or siblings, or neighbors, or anyone who needs it. But he told us that the most important thing we can do is love him and God with all our hearts. And the second most important thing we can do is love others. Jesus loved spending time with his friends Mary and Martha, and he loves spending time with us too. There are all kinds of ways we can be close to Jesus. We can pray to him, read the Bible, worship him, and act like he would act. We can show him we love him with our whole heart, just like Mary did. And that's the story of Mary and Martha. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. Mary and Martha were sisters. They lived together. They were friends with Jesus. They invited Jesus to their house. Martha worked hard on dinner. Mary sat with Jesus. Martha got mad. She told Jesus she was mad. Jesus said Martha only needs one thing, him. 
loving Jesus is the most important thing we can do. And that's a part of God's story. Hello? Okay, this is, you guys can hear me, right? Okay, good. Okay. So, this is my favorite Bible story because God has used this specific story really powerfully in my life. So, um, about a year ago, or just under a year ago, I guess, I was praying. And at this time in my life, I was going through some really big changes, and some really exciting stuff was happening. There was stuff that I'd been hoping for and praying for that was, like, happening, and I was super excited about it, and God was super excited about it. And so all of this was really cool, really positive, and I was terrified. And so I was telling God about how I was so scared. I was so scared that I would mess up, that I would take these good things, these blessings that God had given me, and that I, yeah, like, that were things that were good, and I would take them, and that I would turn them into idols in my life. And so I was terrified to make a mistake. And so I was telling Jesus about it and he directed me to this story. Mary and Martha were disciples of Jesus. And when Martha was missing out on something, Jesus corrected her. And his correction was so gentle. This story is found in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. It's just four verses long. And in verse 41, when Jesus speaks to Martha, He says to her, my dear Martha, there's no sense, there's no sense whatsoever that Jesus is shaming Martha. Quite the opposite. He gently corrects her and leads her into the better thing. There's this thought that we have to perform to come before God, that we have to be responsible to clean ourselves before we can come before him unashamed. And this is such a lie. Martha came to Jesus. She didn't stew quietly in her own bitterness and frustration and maybe even hatred. But she came to Jesus and allowed him to correct her. There's there's a story in a different gospel that shows her having taken this correction to heart. And she's she's now living it out. And although it is it is tempting to read shame into this story. It's just not there. Jesus so kindly and lovingly turns to his friend, his disciple, and leads her into the better thing. So, because although it may not be immediately apparent to our Canadian cultural eyes, um, the language of sitting at Jesus' feet, as is used in this passage, um, is discipleship language. It's showing a position that was almost exclusively reserved for men in this society. So, by Jesus inviting, directly inviting Martha to sit, to sit at his feet, is him actually inviting her into a deeper relationship than she ever could have imagined. God is faithful to correct those he loves. 
God is faithful to bring you into a deeper relationship with him beyond even your own imagination. So when I was terrified by my own potential to sin, God looked at me and, using this story, told me, don't worry, dear one. I will correct you, and it will be so gentle, and it will be, it will be without shame. It will be without shame. Now, all of this is not to say that God doesn't take sin seriously. The, you, you can see that, you, yeah, you can see that all throughout the Bible. God takes sin very seriously. We see this in God's response to the humans in the garden. They're, they don't die immediately for their sin, but they do die. But what I am saying is that there's a difference between conviction and shame. When God deals with sin, it is specific, kind, and specific, and immediately leads to new life and hope. Shame, by contrast, kills and leads to death in isolation. Conviction is God putting his finger on a specific thing that needs to change in your life and is followed by him giving you new life and a direct way out. Shame is the lie that tells you that you can never change, that you have to pay for what you've done, and that God will never forgive you. Shame is a cultural idea that holds a person captive to what they've done. Part of shame is a feeling of inescapable guilt, that you must hide, that you'll never be good enough. Shame is that feeling that comes when you think about something that you've done wrong, even years later, and you just want to curl inside yourself and hide. Shame can feel like nausea in your gut or like a warmth on your face as you think about something that you've done wrong. It's that feeling of dirtiness that just doesn't go away. That is shame, and that is not from God. I, for so long, believed a lie. And the lie was that Jesus has forgiven me for all my sins. I am and can stand rightly before God. But I have to carry around shame for what I've done. That's the price I have to pay. Jesus may have paid it all for me, but I was covering the tip. And so, when God brought me to this story of Mary and Martha, he looked me dead in the eye and informed me that his correction will be life-giving, entirely different from that ache of shame. I do not need to live in terror of making a mistake because God will call me out on it. Not, because, not that I won't make a mistake, I prob- almost guaranteed I will. But Jesus is not going to be like, Tiana, that's it, we're done, I'm sorry, that's, that's the end of the line. No, he's going to be like, Tiana, this is wrong, stop doing it. I have better for you, come, there's new life, there is hope, there is more. That's what God it, that's what God is like. Because that's what God does. He convicts. Conviction is Jesus looking at Martha and being like, Come, sit at my feet, be welcome at my feet. God is setting immediately setting out on a rescue mission to save all of creation after that initial rebellion. Do not hide from God when you have rebelled. Yes, there are consequences to sin. 
but do not cut yourself off from the one person who could ever set you free. God will correct you, and if you let him, he will set you free. That is the hope of the gospel. So, I'm going to leave you with one final story. It's from the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. In the book, there is a character, his name is Eustace, and he has been cruel and selfish. And because of these dragonish tendencies, that's the word the book uses, he gets turned into an actual dragon. And so the book, the book describes this character, Eustace, discovering he's a dragon by saying an appalling loneliness came over him. Immediately, Eustace hides in shame. So for the next few days, Eustace lives as a dragon, and one night he's lying by himself, half asleep, when a lion, the Jesus figure for the book, comes up to him and wakes him up and leads him to a bath. Now, a sudden and deep longing to get in the bath overcomes Eustace, but the lion stops him and tells him, no, you must undress first, going to have a bath. So I will read from the book now. So I have this, but I also have the Kindle version on my computer, which I feel more comfortable highlighting. So I'll be reading from my computer. This is Eustace speaking. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sorts of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of the scales coming off, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a, minute or, in a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down to the well for my bathe. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right. I said I, it only means I've had another smaller suit on underneath the first one. And I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bathe. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, Oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off, for I was longing to get into the bath. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin just like the two others and stepped out of it, but as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me do it. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate, so I just lay down and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff come off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like Billy. Oh, but it is such fun to see it coming away. 
He peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender now that I had no skin on, and threw me into the bath. And then I found that all the pain had gone. And then I saw why. I had turned into a human again. Eustace, although he felt ashamed because of being a dragon, allowed the lion to peel off the dragon skin. It was only ever the lion, Jesus, who could make him human again, could make him whole. And so, although it was painful and there was more grossness than he could ever have imagined, Eustace allowed the lion to make him human again. Do not let the liar cut you off from the lion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. There is no shame in God's conviction. God longs for a relationship with his created humans, and he is intently set on restoring that relationship. He does not want you to remain in the mud and mire of your own brokenness and sinfulness and rebellion, but longs to lead you into better. So, if you're knobbly and imperfect and messing up so terribly, be like Martha. Come to Jesus. Come to the only one who could ever actually make you whole again. And he will do it. Do just what you say Though 